Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM. The Women in Sport podcast with Ger McCarthy on the Big Red Bench. Welcome to another edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. I'm your host Ger McCarthy and you can follow me on my social media Instagram and Twitter accounts at GerMcCarthy74. This week, I speak to former Olympic rower and women in sport lead with Rowing Ireland, Claire Lamb, ahead of travelling to the Tokyo Olympics. Reaction to the Cork Senior Ladies Footballers League final loss to Dublin comes from Captain Martina O'Brien and head coach Paddy O'Shea. TG Cahar's analyst Michelle Ryan also joins the podcast to help with a tactical breakdown of Cork's defeat to the Dubs. It was a very busy weekend for the Cork Camogie squads, with the senior team overcoming Tipperary in the Munster Championship and Donny Daly's under-16s and junior inter-county squads also in action. Finally, we speak to Phil Oakley, National Coach Education Manager of Irish Hockey, about a new Young Hockey Leader course that's taking place around the country. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. Claire Lamb represented her country and rode for Ireland at the 2016 Rio Olympics. Since then, Lamb has moved into a hugely important role as Women in Sport lead with Rowing Ireland. Ahead of travelling out to Tokyo with the Irish Olympic panel, Claire took time out of her hectic schedule to talk about her sport's growing popularity, competing at the Olympics, and the fact nine Irish female rowers are heading to Tokyo. Now, we're absolutely delighted to be joined on the Women in Sport podcast this week by the Women in Sport um, lead with Rowing Ireland. That's Claire Lamb. Claire, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me, Jerry. Um, I we appreciate your time because I I'm not stretching it to say that you are extremely busy right now as we head towards Tokyo. Is that a fair point? Yeah, that's a fair point between the high performance team and then the core team that are really based in Ireland. Um, it is ramping up and that as well as with clubs opening back up and getting back on the water and hope to have a lot of events uh, during the summer. So yeah, it's all systems go. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, as somebody that competed um, in rowing and at the Rio, up to the Rio Olympics, how have how has the transformation from being on the actual water to your new role? How has that gone for you? Because I would I would imagine it's it's lovely to be involved and have somebody of your experience is fantastic for Irish rowing. But how how has that transformation gone? Yeah, I've really enjoyed it actually. Um, I think when you're an athlete, you're kind of in your own bubble and tunnel vision, and it's all about you and your results and you're just looking for the right support to kind of get you what you're looking for or what results you want. And now in this role and working within Rowing Ireland, I see all of the efforts that go on in the background. Um, and that's, like I say, it's, it's the high performance team, of course, as well, but between just even um, managing the sport and operating it as an NGB, and the amount of volunteers, uh, the board, and then the core staff, there's an awful lot that goes in to produce results at high performance level but also to keep the, the sport ticking over and growing um, uh, across the country at, at grassroots level so that's been a big insight um, and I think more like just a really uh, better understanding and value of the amount um, that's done by volunteers like when someone gets to high performance level and they're taken into the system and and uh, ideally have a paid coach down in the high performance team there's been volunteers all the way along um, supporting that athlete and developing that athlete and the amount of hours that go into it um, it's insane so it's great to now be on the other side and actually trying to support support the sport from that grassroots level and, and those volunteers as well um, it's clear, Claire, that you have a passion for the sport and it's it's been something you've involved in mo- nearly all of your life and you're transferring that now to a very important and, you know, a very vital role heading to Tokyo. Um, the day-to-day 
job that you have to do uh, in engaging with all those people in the background is busy enough but what do you put down the like the it's been an explosion of interest in rowing and especially in female rowing but what's that down to over the last couple of years um i think the sport generally like it got good coverage um over rio and now for the last olympic cycle we've gotten really good coverage um with rte now televising the racing the rowers are, are kind of a known entity i think before when i was going to rio and i told people i was a rower they'd you know assume that i was actually a canoe or a kayaker now people actually know what rowing is which is fantastic there's been really good program called get going get rowing which has reached like thirty thousand school kids where they've introduced rowing uh, indoor rowing to schools and then um, run camps as well so that's also sparked uh, interest and even just whether they whether those athletes or, or whether sorry those school kids go on to join a club they actually know they know a bit more about rowing and um, so that's contributed to it as well I think generally the sport um, it's, it's a really really good opportunity for girls coming into their teams to take up a new sport and not um, be left behind so I think for for girls that might take up GAA or or football soccer ball sports um in their teenage years, you know, they've kind of missed the, the, the skill development uh, through, through the underage and um, might, it's very hard to take it up. But rowing, you kind of start those, uh, you take up the sport from 12, 13, 14 onwards or even at university and you could still reach a very good level at that. So I think that's quite attractive to, to girls and it keeps them involved. And then um, also just that it's a really community-led sport. Like when you're part of the rowing club, you're generally down training, even at a, a, a beginner's level, nearly four, five, six times a week. And you you get really close bond with your teammates um, in the club environment. There's a, you know, he's all the ages there. There's a real sense of community in the club, and that keeps. I think that's really attractive to girls in sport as well. So um, I think, like, I'm obviously a, a strong advocate for it, but I think for girls that haven't quite found their sport yet mm. um, and didn't take to maybe the, the team sports or the ball sports earlier on, to give rowing a try. And, and uh, I think they'd be surprised to find that they actually would really love it. Yeah, you make some excellent points there, Claire. And it, again, it's clear, like, the passion you have for your sport is coming through as you answer. And those points are manifested by the fact that so many female rowers will be representing Ireland at the Olympics, including quite a few from Skibreen. Yeah, that's very true. Good uh, court contingent um, uh, heading off. Uh, my own sister as well is part of the team from Dublin, so she's part of the women's four. And it is, it's unbelievable. We have nine female rowers going to this Olympics. And before this Olympic cycle we've only ever had four females like in the history of women's rowing at the Olympics so that uh, rate of increase is outstanding and what's been great as well those girls have um, they've, they've show really great camaraderie over social media and they're quite accessible now through, with Instagram they're, they're uh, you can follow them as the big strong girls and they just show how much fun they're having in the process Um so I think that's been really great for teenage girls maybe looking up to them and I, I hope they when they're watching them at the Olympics they have a better a stronger connection with them having kind of followed them and they know what they're up to every day and they see the training they're putting in 
and, and the fun that they're having as well. And um, so they've done a great job in that and um, the team themselves. And that's another fair point. And like, it, but to be fair, Claire, it's like yourself and many others. When it wasn't as popular, when rowing wasn't as featured in the newspapers, when it wasn't on the front pages or in the Olympics, it's yourself and many more that came before you that helped develop and put the foundations down so that the likes of your sister, the likes of all those female Irish rowers, rowers that are going to Tokyo can now build on the sport. Yeah, it's true. And like success definitely brings success. Like Sunita was our only uh, athlete to compete at the London Olympics. And so uh, it, it went from Sunita in London to having five athletes in in Rio and now 13 in Tokyo. And um, I always got great value out of training alongside Sunita. Like she just does such a great mentality. And I think she's still a massive role model within the team now. Um, she's and a lot of people are looking at her and seeing how long it took her to get to where she is now. She's double world champion, double Olympic champion, um, and it's taken a long road to get there. So it's such a good role model, a good story to be to be following um, and see that you look. If I keep plugging away at this, um, you know, I can I can get there as well. So I think she's been a, a real co- uh, cornerstone really in the success of Irish rowing over the last decade now so um, yeah they really are phenomenal role models and Sunita I think is our, our queen bee among it all <laughs> yeah well said and look look as I said at the start I can appreciate how absolutely busy you are at the moment but as the women in sport lead for rowing Ireland I mean with your experience on the water are you enjoying your new role it's extremely <laughs> busy I can appreciate that but I, somebody who knows both sides of the coin if you want to use that cliche is, it, is this new role everything you were hoping it would be and how much are you looking forward to the Olympics? Yeah, no, I'm really, really enjoying my role. I like working now with coaches um, and, and people in the club to kind of support them uh, in all the work and the volunteering hours that they, they're putting in. So really, really enjoying it. Um, I, I don't know, if, even when I was finishing rowing, I didn't think that I would end up working in sport. I actually studied a, uh, an engineer but uh, it was about a year and a half ago the CEO reached out about a role coming up and I applied for it and I I don't regret that decision at all I've, I've really enjoyed it there's challenges for sure um, you know you're always operating to um, minimum resources and and I think with the team though just have so much passion and uh, they all want the, to grow the sport and give as many people the opportunity to try it and um, I really enjoy working working for Rowan Ireland now. Yes, and you can hear that from your voice, Claire. I appreciate it again. <laughs> oh, crazy it must be. And look, just finally, um, everyone is getting excited about the Olympics. Everyone is getting excited about the roars. And unfortunately, when that comes about, unrealistic expectations can start to, you know, it's just natural. People get excited and they want, to, you know, they want medals everywhere. But what are realistic aims for Irish rowing at this Olympics? And is, is the real goal, I suppose, irrespective of what medals are won or not, the growth of the sport coming out of it and to build on it yet again? Absolutely, yeah. We, we have to as a sport and, and it's, it's the NGB and clubs alike to capitalise on the success of the athletes. And, and they've gained massive success already by getting such a strong, um, big team to, to Tokyo. Like, it's been a really challenging two years for the whole team, Um 
they've changed through lockdown a lot of unknown and uncertainty and whilst they've shown really really good results all the way up to now there's still uncertainty going in because some uh, crews haven't competed for the last two years and it's hard to rank yourself against those but like that said They've gone in, they've produced medals consistently over the last number of years at World Championships and Europeans. And um, I, I know they're going there to, to to not just compete, but to, to do the best they can. And um, I think I think they're a really strong team and all going well. I think they'll be able to put out really, really great performances. And, and we're all just so proud of them, really. They're, they're doing so much for the sport. And um, we just hope we can keep supporting them and, and, and pick up on the success that they get. The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Dublin inflicted a 5 point defeat on Cork in last Saturday night's Lidl National League Division 1 final at Crow Park I caught up with Cork head coach Paddy O'Shea to get his assessment of the match and a look ahead to Cork's upcoming All-Ireland Championship But first, here's Cork senior captain Martin O'Brien on another disappointing loss at the hands of Mick Bowen's side You just find me coming out of losing any game um, but losing a final, you know, because I suppose that's what you work towards at the start of a competition and um, look we, we went in with our sights um, on the cup like you know to bring it home but um, it didn't happen that way um, look we have been very close to Dublin I suppose but it's just um, I suppose we're, we're just still that little bit of a step away you know they seem to just come out with maybe that kind of five point win in the last couple of matches but um, look we're, we're making strides forward I think and, and that's the important thing um, we just need to learn um, learn as we go really you know because it's a tight championship now again and a tight turnaround so we kind of just have to have to look forward park what's happened now with the league we've kind of got what we needed out of it and um, look forward to championship One of the big positives coming out of the league and heading into that championship is the number of players that Aoife Fitzgerald and his management team have used a lot of young players have been blooded like Sosai Valeri Katie Quirk um, that's going to be a positive because if you need those players to call upon them, they've got that experience now of playing really top quality teams in the last couple of months and that will stand to them when the championship starts. Definitely. And I think, like, I suppose at the start of the league, that was probably um, one of the biggest things that the management wanted to do, you know, just bring in more players, get more um, quality games uh, in them. Uh, because, like, I suppose you, you can't go into championship with, with only... 15 to 17 players you know that can kind of finish out the match and I think we really have like at least 20 players now um, if not more who are ready to kind of come in and, and uh, do a job like even yesterday you know um, on Terry to go off after 15 minutes and we had girls to come on who did the job as well as, as Terry had done going off like so do you know it, it, it's I suppose we have to take the positives from the league. It has allowed us to probably progress in in getting a really strong panel together, and um, that's going to carry us into championship. You know, so um, that's a, that's a big plus for us, I suppose. And um, look, I suppose that that's kind of what management had aimed to do at the start of the league, and and thank God that they got the opportunity to do it. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned some of the players that are still absent because of long-term injury like Neve Cotter, Darren O'Sullivan, Laura O'Mahony, Marie Ambrose. I mean, there's not alone is there a panel of 30, 30-odd there now, but there's also these players that will be clambering whenever they're ready um, to get back into that starting lineup as well. Oh, definitely. And like, um, look, I suppose it's just unfortunate that we have a couple of injuries there now and... Um, like hopefully Marie is ready to nearly like you know she's been she's been participating in training so um quite a bit so she she's I'd say nearly ready to kind of come back into action now which is great 
um, and just having players coming back like Laura Manning has been participating in training as well and we're getting, they're, they're coming back slowly which is and, and hopefully they'll be ready for championships you know but I suppose that's, that's kind of just a slow process and that's a, a week by week thing um, but look we have girls we have 41 on the panel and, and everyone is fighting for a position do you know what I mean never mind 1 to 15 people are fighting from, from that to 30 because um, like you, you, you want to have a, your name on that panel for the day of the match so it's really really competitive it's keeping the whole thing really competitive and that's what's driving it on then so when we have those younger players kind of coming in and they're really um, putting their hand up and like I suppose challenging those older players or, or the girls who've probably been there a bit longer and it, it just is it's raising the standards within the camp which is is really what we want from your own perspective, another very good league campaign um, in goal and as well one of the big positives I suppose coming out of that Dublin match the other night in the, in the league final, the kickouts, kickouts were very very good and kickouts were much improved and we got a lot, Cork got a lot of attacks from those kickouts. Um, is that, it's obviously something that you've been working on, I mean you got 19 according to GA Statsman, you got 19 in the match and you won 15 of them, I mean that's a 78% return. But what 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 it means, Martina, is that platform from the kickout is there now for Cork heading into the championship to launch those attacks? Yeah, I suppose. Look, I think any team now is kind of looking at at their kickout. Like that's that's primary possession. You should be winning, um, and it, it launch it's a launch pad for attacks. Really, like so, um, it's it's definitely something we work on. Um, look, it probably. It probably was a bit shaky in, in the league match against Dublin, right? We, I, I don't even notice that in that game, but it was pretty poor. Um, and they did put us under ferocious pressure, but um, we've worked on it since. And look, it's something that is continually evolving. And you see that in, in other games, not just us playing. You see it in, in other, um, say, the senior games that are going on. That, like that, like there is, there is actually like specific I'd say um, like drills and everything that, that teams are doing to kind of make sure that they win that primary possession and from that break fast so look that's what look, we want to evolve that and we obviously want to kind of improve it like it would be great if we could get those um, the retention rate even higher because like even 78% probably isn't something I'd be very happy with personally I want like we want more out of that because it is it's something where we have possession mm. and it should be an easier an easier way of retaining it Um but look, that again is something that we can work on and it's definitely something easier that you can improve on as well and and there's no doubt that, that, that well, I hope that that will improve over time. I'm sure it will, Martina, knowing you and knowing the people that are working with you, I, I can see that improving. And just finally, look, I know the defeat to Dublin is still very raw from, and, and was a league final, but your experience tells you that, you know, you do not dwell on these things. It does feel disappointing at the moment, but you've got Meath coming up in the All-Ireland Championship not, not not too far away and like me last night in Crow Park against Kerry showed what they are and what they're capable of becoming so the good news is you've something to focus on you have an All-Ireland Championship to focus on and I would imagine as soon as the players hit the pitch that that's exactly what they'll be doing Yeah look I think I suppose I only saw like snippets of the the, um, the Mead and Kerry game yesterday and like Jesus Mead are so impressive um, for a team who've just come up from intermediate, they have everything. They have power, pace, accuracy. They have it. Like it's probably, you know, it's a bit of a, it's a good thing for us now to that we're parking what happened last night, and we do have something to focus on. And it's good to maybe have that game to watch back, you know, even to kind of look at Mead 
because look, I suppose we wouldn't have come against them. I, I can't actually remember the last time we played. Maybe probably six, seven years ago in some qualifying match. Um, so we haven't. I suppose we haven't come together as a, uh, um, uh, playing each other before. So it 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 gives us something to focus on. We really have to kind of um, forget about what happened now and and just reset basically. Um, Look, it's one one game at a time, and for us, me, they're the first game, so it's going to be a big, big challenge, I think. And like, we have to make sure that we've we've kind of gotten over the the heavy the the loss of of uh, the league final and have now focused on championship. Because look, our end goal obviously is to get to an all Ireland final and win the Brenda Martin, but. What what we have to focus on first is is meat in front of us. So it's going to be a tough challenge, but like we'll just reset. We're going to go again on Wednesday night and and go from there. Uh, yeah, we're happy about our campaign. Went in, in, in all, all in all, I suppose um, we've gotten some very good things out of it, and we flagged a few other things out of the league campaign too. Um, certainly, we have some stuff we need to work on. Um, you're kind of judging yourself really in, in two different categories. You're judging yourself against Dublin and you're judging yourself against the rest of the teams in the competition because Dublin are acceptable of everybody else. So you kind of have to tweak your preparation and tweak the way you set yourself up when it comes to Dublin. So again, the league has really proved that again to us and it's flagged a few things for us. Um, but again, we have, we've learned a lot about, the, about ourselves and about our panel throughout the league. So yeah, all in all, we're very happy. Yeah, I don't want to dwell on it too much now, but I, I mean, I have to pick out Hannah Tyrrell. She has been pretty much a thorn on your side over the last couple of games. She's an exceptionally talented player, and like it's just an example of how one player can make it. No, she's she's not the only player in that Dublin team, but how one player on form and the way she's been over the last number of weeks and months um, can make a huge difference to an already talented side. Yeah, and you're right. And the worrying thing about that is, she seems to be getting better and better the longer she's back. Obviously, the more she's improving, she's uh, getting getting the turns of the game again. Uh, yeah, she's a powerful player, big leader for them, big character in their dressing room, I'd imagine. Um, but again, like so many of their, their their other their other players, we just have to find a way to counteract that and to try and nullify them as best we can. But you know, you have to be realistic about things too. And you know, you're coming up against a very very good side, very experienced side. And, you know, you can't set your expectations too high in terms of stopping them all up. Um, it's going to damage control a lot of the time and hoping that you do enough throughout their whole team and throughout the whole team where, where you can make up um, the numbers afterwards to push on and get a win against them. But again, you know, a lot of teams have tried in the last couple of years, a lot of teams have failed, but um, we keep on trying, I suppose, with the message to the girls. Um, you mentioned all the positives coming out of this champ- out of this league campaign. One of the big things, and I, sp- I mentioned it to Martino O'Brien earlier, is the number of players who got game time and who got useful game time to give you, the management team, and Efi an opportunity to show what they could do. I would imagine you'd be most pleased with that coming out of the league? Yeah, we do. Again, the league has proved to us that we have a very strong panel. Um, we have used a lot of girls in the league. In the five league games that we've played, any times we've made changes with, with girls from off the bench, they've all made a difference. The majority of the time, anyway, they've made a difference to the, the game that we've played. So that's very promising. And again, it just it just solidifies the point that our panel is very strong. And there's still another few to come back into the panel from injury or whatever else. So when that happens, um, you know, normally after the league, you have a bit of a break to the first championship game. We don't. We have a quick turnaround. But over the last two weeks, We've had a lot of injuries clear up, uh, a few of them long term, and we're waiting on another couple now as well. So the panel is strong, definitely coming over the back of the league, and it's going to be stronger again in the next couple of weeks. Does that help, Paddy? Though the fact that that first championship game is coming up so fast, um, I mean, you're back in the pitch next Wednesday night, and from there, like it's all guns blazing, yeah. 
Uh, it does. I, to be honest with you, it's kind of what you make of it, really. You, you can put a positive spin on it or a negative spin, whichever way you approach it. But obviously, we're going to try and put as much of a positive spin on it as we can. Um, preparation has been going very well the last couple of weeks, preparing for these league games. Um, but it's time to knuckle down and take up a notch, I think, in the next two weeks before the meeting. Um, you probably didn't get a chance to see me in action last night before your own game because you were preparing for that Dublin showdown. But they are a very, very impressive unit, and they're going to test you. Yeah, that's the thing. That that's a that's a serious uh, game for us. In fairness, the first game out again two weeks after a long league campaign where the goals have worked very hard for very long. Some of the lads have been watching that game already from yesterday, and we've had a few conversations already since this morning, getting on the bed about me. And it is going to be a formidable challenge for us. But you know, it's. We kind of have to we focus on me for what, what we can do, but after that, we'll be focusing on ourselves again, like we try to do all the time. And once we get ourselves right and hopefully tick all our own boxes, we should be okay. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 pm. TG Carr, GA analyst and former Waterford Ladies football star Michelle Ryan, joined me on this week's Women in Sport podcast to break down Dublin's National League Division 1 final victory over Cork. We covered a wide range of topics, including the brilliance of Hannah Tyrrell and just how far off Cork are from dethroning the champions ahead of another All-Ireland campaign. Easy one to start with. Um, Dublin, very, very deserving winners on the light. Disappointing from Cork that they didn't push them as much as they did in the previous two games, which you would have seen and covered as well. Was that the most surprising thing for you coming away from Saturday night? Yeah, I think it was. And I think it was to anyone who kind of tuned into the game, um, especially, I suppose, everyone was, the appetite had been whetted a few weeks before that with that incredible game down in Pork Grieve. Um, and I, I suppose a lot of people were hoping for a little bit more of the same. But while that was great from a spectator point of view, it's no doubt that both teams and both sets of management were very eager to not concede that amount of goals anymore. And that was kind of evident in the first few exchanges, even in the game there in, in Crow Park on Saturday evening, it was very much I suppose free, there was a lot of freeze at the start of the game and you know defences were, were very content to kind of I suppose prevent those goal scoring opportunities um, so yeah it, it, it didn't turn out to be the same kind of affair to be to be honest um, and yeah it was disappointing from a Cork's point of view and I think to be honest what was surprising for me is that um, even though it, there were only five points in the game at the end, for some reason there on the day, it felt like there was a little bit more than that between them. Mm-hmm. Um, that Dub- Dublin just were were on that 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 higher level, and while Cork were, you know, at times showing signs that they were threatening. Dublin were, were never allowing them to come too close to them um, and they they were they had, a, they had a little bit of an invisibility I think about it there in the, in the second half at one stage and and that's how it turned out at the end of the day Yeah I think once that second goal went in like it just sucked the life out of the remainder of the game but you're right up to that point even in the second half even when they were down to 14 players Dublin did not lose a step and that's the mark of their class that even with a player off the pitch for 10 minutes I think it was Martha Byrne was was the one that was yellow carded first they didn't miss a beat and they actually scored a point or two that's it exactly exactly and you know it's just it's something I, they've been building and we've been we're talking about it a lot and hmm. you know it, it's hard to break that kind of a system down Dublin are now in this this I suppose space where they're successful and they're very, very effective and they're very confident in themselves so it's very hard to break into that and to break that down at this stage and Cork have been I suppose leading the pack in doing that over the last while and it's no doubt I suppose disappointing for them that they weren't 
table to, to Maz. Like at the end of the day, I suppose it is it, it, these key matches and finals that that we're focusing on. You know, like and, and that's the thing about Dublin. They can go that extra level in the matches that are important, um, and that's what's separating them from the pack at the minute. We have to talk about one player in particular, and that's Hannah Tyrrell. Um, Tina G put up a, a graphic on the night of the match showing the 322, 322 she had scored in the four matches, including 2-7 against Cork Donan in Barkley Cueve coming into the final. She underlined her class again, Michelle. Not that she needed to, but if Cork can't handle her, and Cork have tried different markers on her now at this stage over, over the course of the two matches, how is anyone else going to contain her? That's exactly it. it. And actually, I was very eager to see at the start where the ball was thrown in who was going to be given that task. And as we saw, it was, was Melissa Duggan. Melissa Duggan, an all-star, one of the best footballers in the country at the minute. And at the same time, Hannah Turris still comes out with, with seven points. Now, I know she's also a free-taker and that contributed to that as well. But it just goes to show the, the strength that, that, that Hannah Tyrrell has as a player, the talent that she has as a player. And I don't, the, the honest answer to your question is I don't know who could handle her. And, and that's, the, that's the thing that, that's the, each team that comes up against Dublin now in the next few weeks, the over championship, is probably going to be one of the first things that, 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 that they're looking at. Um, like we said, we had one of the best defenders in the country. We saw her on her this weekend. And I suppose one the other side of that, then, as well from a Cork perspective, where I had seen Cork showing great progression in their attacking football over mm. the previous few games, is that the likes of Melissa Duggan and the likes of Eric O'Shea have been really attacking wing backs and have contributed to that. They were obviously given tasks over the weekend to take up certain players. And that maybe took away a little bit from that attacking movement and that driving forward. So you're kind of, I suppose, paying, uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul in one sense. But, I mean, that's just, it's, look, it's a testament to the, the player that Hannah Terrell is and what a find for Dublin this year. And look, she's just contributed more to all, already the top quality players that exist within their camp. Very true. We're talking about one player we could talk about any number of that Dublin team from the other night and from a league campaign in which they've come out on top. Finally, Michelle, we're leaving a very positive league campaign behind Dublin, head into the All-Ireland Championship in a couple of weeks in absolutely top fettle. But from Cork's point of view, not alone did they have to kind of pick themselves up now and go again um, following it in like a third defeat in seven months to the Dubs. There's still hope. I mean, there's, there's a strong panel there. But on the horizon is a Meath team that you have watched very, very closely since the, not just this year, but over the last couple of years. Not a lot of people outside of me that maybe outside of ladies' football circles would know a lot about them other than they're the intermediate all champions. But they are a hell of a team and they're a lot more than just, they're not, they're not just coming up to the senior ranks to make up the numbers and they will test Cork unless Cork bring their A game. Absolutely, I couldn't agree anymore because Meath have suffered a lot of heartbreak in trying to make it to senior over the last few years. And look, even though you know football is one of these things, sport is one of these things where you'll experience extreme highs and extreme lows. And they've learned from those lows, and you know they were fully deserving of becoming intermediate champions back there in Christmas. You can see by the way that they're going about their business already that they're not there just to go straight back down. They want to be competitive now at senior level. They want to, I suppose, show the development and, and the, the, the improvements that they've brought to their game 
and they have great momentum in that now. They've gone from being playing in Division 3 to Division 2. They've now won Division 2. They're back up in Division 1. They've now senior status as well. And I was very, very impressed by their display against Kerry over the weekend. And I think last week I was doing, I suppose, a few interviews and I was asked to call the Kerry the Kerry-Mead match and I, I hesitantly called Kerry just suppose during the week because I was thinking of the, you know, the experience they had within their camp as it got closer to game day I felt more and more that Meads were going to actually show something really strong or really strong performance and they did exactly that and there was large portions of that game where Kerry were really were out on their feet trying to contain the power that Meath had all over they were very very organised very very structured they've the work rate to be seen in the middle third of the field was yeah. incredible, um, absolutely incredible. And I, I know Emma Troy got player of the match, but I, I, I really thought Mauro Shaughnessy midfields did an incredible amount of covering work as well as that. And it's clear that they have their sights set on, on you know, you know, a good performances this coming championship and I think I've no doubt Cork would have been looking at that and analysing that and will recognise all of those things as well and, and that's what they'll need to be they'll need to be on their guard for that because to, to, to many a spectator it might seem like okay it's the intermediate championships coming up against against Cork who are senior All-Ireland finalists and, but I, I think there's a lot more to this Mead team and it's really showing the progression and development that they've had and they're playing with confidence and at the end of the day that can account for an awful lot as well the Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. It was a big weekend for the Cork Camogie teams as Paddy Murray's seniors defeated Tipperary to reach the 2021 Munster Senior Championship decider. Donny Daly was a manager of both the Cork Under-16 and Junior Intercounty squads that faced tricky provincial championship matches and experienced contrasting fortunes. Busy weekend for Donny Daly. Not alone was he in charge of the Cork Camogie Junior hurlers uh, in their match against Kerry, but he also took charge of the Under-16 Intercounty panel's second outing of the season. Donny, thanks for joining us. Um, can I ask you first, let's just concentrate first on the Under-16s. Their match uh, this past weekend, how did that go and how happy were you with the performance? Yeah, hi, Ger. Uh, yeah, we had a good win uh, down below in WIT Arena uh, this afternoon. Um, final score was 3.17 to 1.3. Um, excellent performance by the girls. Uh, we played eight subs, 23 girls were, were outstanding. Um, no, it was, it was a very warm day. Uh, conditions were tough, but look, look oh, these girls, um, like, what can I say about them? They're, they're an exceptional bunch of girls, to be honest. Exceptional. Yeah, and like you're looking for that consistency of performance you've gotten that now, um, and it bodes well for the rest of the year. It does, it does, yeah. Like we, we scored um, 21 scores against Tipperary, 6-15 uh, two weeks ago, and we scored 3-17 today, that's the 20 scores. So look, if you're scoring 20 times in any match, you know, you should be, you, you, you should be winning. So, and look, we, we, every one of our forwards scored today, uh, two of our subs came on and scored. So look, it, it, they are, they are consistent. Our backs are, 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 are aren't giving away much. Um, they're very, very strong. We have a half back line there, you know, Millie Condon, uh, Keely Goulding, um, Adele Sheehan, and they're, they're so you wouldn't find you wouldn't find anywhere in the country at, at any level uh, in, in in hurling football or or camogie the, the, the three of those girls um, the performances that they're putting in week in week out and in training and and and, and the three of those are dual players so it's mm. it's um, a testament to them. Um, what's next in the Test Call Ireland Championship for uh, this Cork Under Sixteen? Yeah, I, oh, I'm just waiting now anyway on on a draw. Um, as you know, like we topped our group, uh, Galway topped their group, and also Kilkenny um, topped there. So 
two of those teams will go directly through to a semi-final and one uh, of those teams will, will go to a quarter-final against the, the three uh, second-place teams. So that would consist of Dublin, Tipperary and Limerick. So you look, and if, if you're in a quarter-final, you're out next weekend. Um, if you go directly to a semi-final, you're out the following weekend. So look, like, to be honest, it's 6-1, if, if we have to play next weekend in a, in a quarter-final, we'll be ready for it. Um, if we don't, we get a, a week rest. But we, you know, we'll probably end up playing, playing a challenge game or something anyway next weekend. So, you know, like at, at this at this stage, you know, there's only about three weeks left in it. Uh, we might as well continue playing. Um, you know, you just don't want to be picking up injuries. But it's the way these girls are playing and the fitness levels. Um, you know, thanks to our strength and conditioning coach Steve Nomani, they're like they're they're well well able to to, to keep keep going for the next couple of weeks. So I look touch wood. Um, if it's a semi final, great. If it's quarter final, no, we're we're ready for that as well. Would you rather the quarter final? As the, as an extra competitive game, or the rest? Look, I I went I went two more. You know, like you, look, you don't want to be playing a, t- a team and maybe getting getting caught in a quarter final. But similarly, an extra an extra game might do us any harm. Um, you know, look, like you, okay, you'll avoid Galway and Kilkenny if you go into a quarter final, but you're going to play them anyway. I don't care, honestly, Jerry. I really don't care. Um, like the, the girls could do the rest. But again, we have 15 other players that, that mm-hmm. as it stands, can come on at any stage and put in, put in a shift just the same as the, the first 15. Yeah, it sounds good and it sounds positive, so we'll keep an yeah, eye on that over the next couple of weeks. Related. Yeah, and rightly so, because you've got a good setup there and obviously you've got a lot of talented players. Um, I have to ask you about the disappointing result for the Cork Juniors. Now, it, to put this into perspective, and I'm not being smart, this is Cork's third team when it comes to senior kind of intermediate and junior camogie, that's correct? That's correct. And you were, to put it mildly, you were up against it this weekend. But before we talk about the disappointing result, the fact that these players want to put on a Cork jersey, the fact that these players want to get together and train and put in an effort, as disappointing as the result is, it shows that there's a hunger and a desire to, to represent their county at junior level. There, there's a huge hunger out there. there, like there's, there look, and, and there are plenty of girls capable uh, of, of playing at that level uh, throughout the country um, and putting in a good performance. The only thing is, and I look, I, 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 and this is going kind of going out to the Munster board. You know, you, you, fair is fair. Like if, if we came up against Limerick or Clare, who would be on a level playing field with ourselves? Um, you know, with their second or you know, second teams in, by and large. But when you're playing Kerry's first team um, that are that are that won the All Ireland in 2019, that they're playing intermediate against Cork's intermediate team and Tipperary, and they've beaten Tipperary's intermediate and Galway intermediate, mm. and then they're still allowed to play junior. No, look, look this, this isn't so grave. But we we were asked two weeks ago to put together a junior team. Mm. So basically, these girls, these these 28 girls that we put together, you know, they might have met each other once. Um, we had one training session against the, the minor, minors. And then you're putting them out against a team that's been finely drilled and tuned since you know since early November. Um, it's it's not fair, really. But look, it's not an excuse either. You know, like if if we should be able to put put 15 girls out there that are as good as as Kerry's best 15. But the thing is, we need we need preparation time. You, like you're going to need two three months to do it. And look, I, I you know I talk to the county board if if they're serious about putting in a junior team into into Munster then they have to be fair to girls and, and give them a, give them a, a fair fair crack to it for a fair chance The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm Phil Oakley is National Coach Education Manager for Irish Hockey 
A Young Hockey Leader course was recently held at Kinsale Hockey Club as part of Irish Hockey's nationwide programme. I asked Phil about the new Young Hockey Leader course and why it is proving so popular. So it's essentially um, a programme for the mid-teenage groups, so around 15 years old. We, we've been running it since about 2011 and it was initially introduced to address um, sort of the mid-team drop-off that we would find in most sports. Um, and we also have a problem where we didn't have enough volunteers in our clubs, so we thought we'd try and produce a program that would cover off both. Um, and it, the idea of it is to introduce sort of 14 to 16-year-olds to coaching, umpiring and volunteering in their clubs. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good idea and a very simple plan and initiative. You were recently in Kinsale Hockey Club. How did that go and what's next on the horizon? Uh, that went very well. We, we had 13 in Kinsale. Um, we haven't run in Kinsale for a while, so it was really nice to get back down there. And we'll be running in other, other Munster-based clubs um, over the next few months and certainly into the new season from September. Um, the next step for a lot of those kids now would be if they have an interest, a specific interest in something like coaching or umpiring, that they would then fall into one of those programs. So you could go on and do your fundamentals of coaching hockey, which is for 16-year-olds, and it's a, a more specialized course or you could go into umpiring and there's some online courses and then um, within each province there's a a branch that look after the umpires and you would fall in with them and they would start to develop you along the the umpiring pathway. Yeah and again another sensible initiative keeping people in the game from a young age and giving them an interest and and showing them the ropes and giving them the tools basically uh, to learn the specific you know role that they might want to hold on when they turn senior. Is, Is that a fair assessment of what you're trying to do? Uh, absolutely, we, we and the, the drop off was the main reason. Like we, we lose an awful lot of fifteen year olds um, who come up. The junior cert kicks in, or maybe they haven't made a first team or a second team, and they, they decided to give up playing hockey or team sports or whatever it is. So this definitely keeps an awful lot of an awful lot of kids who might have lost that interest in playing. It gives them another role within their club. Um, we find then that a lot of those young leaders, we, we've been running it now for over nine years, so we're now seeing a lot of those young leaders coming through on coaching courses, maybe doing their level one or their level two. Uh, some of them have gone on to be umpires. Some of them have gone on to sit on their club's committees. And it's also kept them playing, maybe not at the highest level, but maybe they're playing division two or division three. So it keeps them in the sport and hopefully... If I can keep producing those numbers, that we, we'll sort of strengthen our volunteer base, which is really what we were trying to do from the start. There seems to be, to me, just from my daughter being involved as well, quite a huge number of young girls playing hockey, or at least up until COVID, throughout the county of Cork. Is that your experience? And is the number on the rise, or do you see an increase in recent years? We've generally um, grown at around 10% a year. So so when I started in 2007, we had 1,750 underage players, boys and girls. And uh, at this stage, we're at over 4,300 kids. So it's been a really big jump in sort of, you know, 10 or 11 years um, initially. And we are still growing. One of our problems is uh, facilities. We don't have a lot of hockey pitches to develop new clubs on. And our existing clubs at underage level will be full. So the likes of Cork Harlequins, um, Cork Cvi, who play in Gary Duff, and Ashton, who would be the city-based clubs, and Belvedere out in Balancholic, they would be near to being full. Um, so our next move will be to try and develop new clubs, uh, but facilities are, are difficult to come by. One of our main problems is there's a lot of 3G and 4G pitches being installed, and uh, hockey needs to be played on a 2G surface because the ball is, is 
uh, it's a dangerous ball to be hitting around on a an uneven surface like a 3G and 4G pitch. So that's one of our main focuses now is to try and develop new facilities or find existing facilities where we could open new clubs because the demand is there and like some of our clubs that have waiting lists. Um, and that's the thing, you, you mentioned demand just finally. Obviously the Irish ladies women's hockey team and their successes in recent times has helped you know, grow the sport has helped inspire a lot of young young girls to take up the sport. I mean, is that a fair comment? And you, you'd be hoping to harness that in the next couple of years. Uh, very much so. They they since about 2016, when the men qualified initially for um, the Rio Olympics, and then the girls followed that up in 2018 with the, their brilliant silver medal at the World Cup. And um, there's been a huge shift in, you know, an interest from kids, an interest from schools and clubs getting on to us saying, look, we, we can't take any more. Um, can you can you look to alleviate the situation or can you help us out? So we, a lot of our work has been focused on that. And now that the girls are going to Tokyo, we would hope that there'll be even more interest. And at some point, we will need to talk to uh, government agencies to say, look, we need to get more hockey pitches here. Um, we have counties across the country that don't have one hockey pitch in it. And then we have other counties, um, like we have about 28 pitches in Munster alone. And then in Connacht, they have about four or five pitches. So you can sort of see that there's real barriers to us growing. Um, but if, the, if we continue with international success the way it's been going, um, we should be able to develop those facilities and increase the, increase the numbers playing the sport. And that's good. That's good news, and hopefully that will happen in the years to come. Can I just ask you very finally, Philip? Where can people find out more information about the Young Leader Program? So on our website, which is hockey.ie, or you can contact any of our staff members. Again, all that that information is on on hockey. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune in to the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan and Valerie Wheeler between 6 and 7pm on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels as well as visiting our official website redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6pm, Cork's Red FM.